It's good to be with you on this journey through the Gospels of this Lenten season. Four Gospels from the Gospel of Luke and the final reading from the Gospel of John. But it fits nicely with the Lucan Gospels. I feel a bit like a tour guide because these are texts that you know, but I suppose the first question is, do you really know the texts? My experience of listening to the scripture through a long life of studying the scripture and teaching it is that it has an endless capacity to generate fresh meaning. And sometimes when you're least expecting it, it can leap off the page almost like a blowtorch a reading that you could perhaps recite by heart. So my task as the tour guide is simply to point to certain things about the text that you may not have noticed so that you can, as it were, stand back and look at the text with fresh eyes because that is certainly the summons of this Lenten journey to not only see the words but to hear the words with the ears of the heart in a new, fresh and more powerful way. So that's the journey we're on, and we begin with the first of the Gospel readings of this Lenten journey by going into the desert. Now, it seems to me, when I think of these five Gospel readings as as a, a unit, that they are posing two questions to us, certainly as we set out on these 40 days in the desert. The first of them is, who is Jesus? And again, the question may seem obvious, but the answer is never obvious because it's never a question you you can answer completely. You can never say, I've reached bedrock. So in that sense, we are, in each of these five Gospel readings, grappling with that question, who is Jesus, attempting to see the answer in a new and more powerful way. But the other question that, that is posed by these Gospel readings, I think, is who are you? Again, you might say, well, that's not a real question for me, but I think it may be, who are you as a disciple, as one who responds to Jesus? So not only who is he, but how am I to respond and how do I respond as a disciple? What's it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? So those two questions sit over this journey of listening to the Word of God in these five readings. In the attempt to grapple with these questions, who is Jesus, who am I as disciple, the prime resource for us as it is for the New Testament is what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. In many ways, the New Testament is simply a how to read the Old Testament, And here in this first gospel reading, when we go into the desert of temptation, the place of testing, we are presented with one of the great archetypes of the Old Testament, and that is the desert. The desert not just as physical, but as it were metaphysical and metaphoric location, the desert that is everywhere. Now in the the scripture, certainly, the desert is a place of profound ambiguity. It's a place of life and death. If you've ever been in the desert, you know that you look at what seems to be totally dead and empty. There's nothing there. 
But if you look with the trained eye, you eventually discover that the desert, though it seems empty and dead, it teems with life, but a life that has to be discovered. So death and life interplay in this wilderness, the desert. Similarly, wandering and journeying are part of the ambiguity. The desert is a place where it's very easy to wander. Many of the early explorers in the middle of Australia, which is all desert, they just wandered round in circles. They thought they were going somewhere, but they were going nowhere, and they died. And the reason they were wandering, going nowhere, was there were no features in the desert which would lead them on a journey. So wandering is part of the experience of the desert, but the challenge or the call is to turn our wandering into journeying. And where there are no physical features, according to scripture, in the desert, then our only way of finding the path of journeying is to listen to God in the way Abraham does on his journeying and in the way the chosen people do. The desert is also a place of abandonment. When the chosen people leave Egypt, they get out into the desert and they start whinging. Why? Because they say, at least back in Egypt, we had leeks and cucumbers and pans of meat. Out here in the desert, we have nothing. So we've been abandoned, we've been betrayed. And yet it's precisely in the desert that the call of God comes to this ragbag people whom he makes a real people. So it's a place of both abandonment and call, even embrace, because the marriage between God and Israel is forged first in the desert. So the desert then becomes, in all its ambiguity, a place of testing. How do I make my way through the ambiguities? And in the Old Testament, it's the place where the chosen people test God. Are you really trustworthy? Should we really follow? Are you the one who betrays us? Or the one who protects and embraces? So they put God to the test. But the God whom they test also tests them and tests us. For 40 years, we're told, they wander through a time of testing and very often on this wandering through the wilderness, Israel fails to listen and to obey. The two words are deeply and closely related. They fail to listen to the voice of the God who leads them and they fail to obey the God who leads them. But this is a God who speaks strangely in the desert. The famous passage in 1 Kings 19 verse 12 speaks of what is often translated as a thin, small voice. But in fact the Hebrew says it's the voice of a thin silence. And that's the voice of God out in the desert. The voice of a thin silence. That's the voice that Jesus and we are called to hear. It's a presence, but it's a presence generated by absence. And again, if you've spent time in the desert, perhaps in the Holy Land, you'll know what I mean. You go out into the desert and there's an intense silence that you can never know in the city. And because of that silence out in the desert, out in the emptiness, there's a little ringing in your ears. It's kind of like a thin voice. 
the voice of a thin silence, the voice that is presence but born of absence. Now, into this place of both threat and promise, of both life and death, wandering and journeying, abandonment and call, the Spirit leads Jesus. Jesus doesn't decide to go to the desert himself. We're told by Luke that he is led by the Spirit who takes us into some very strange and perhaps dangerous seeming places. This is distinctively Lucan who has this sense of the Spirit at all the great threshold moments both through the Gospel and the Acts of the Apostles. And what we see is that Jesus has to listen not only to the voice of God, who is a presence born of absence, but he also has to hear the voice of Satan, who is the one who speaks with a voice that is a presence, but it is the presence that leads to absence. So whereas God's voice is the presence born of absence, Satan's voice is the absence born of presence, the exact opposite. It's the voice that leads not to life but to death. So there are the contending voices out there. This is at the heart of the ambiguity of the desert into which we, with Jesus, are led. Now what we see in this Gospel reading is that where Israel failed to listen and obey, Jesus triumphs. And he triumphs on two counts. First of all, what it means to be the Messiah. And this was a much disputed question. What does it mean to be the Messiah? And then, in answer to that question, we see in Jesus as he grapples with the two voices, the purpose of power. And these temptations, it seems to me, are all about power, and most of ours are. If you look at the three temptations, the first of them is the temptation for Jesus to use his power to meet his own needs. Satan says, use your power, you've got it, and use it to meet your needs. You're the one it's all about. And who of us does not know that temptation? The second of the temptations is Satan saying, receive real power from me. You might have some, but I'm the one with real power and the power to confirm it, to confer it upon you. I am the one who possess another kingdom. So receive real power from me. And again, it's seductive. And the third of the temptations, test God's power. See if God is as powerful as you think. See if God's as faithful to his promise as you think. And here again, the seductive voice sounds rather like the serpent in the garden. Did God say? Again, the one who, as it were, creeps up on us. So the three temptations, I think, focus upon the seductions of power because there would have been many who said that the Messiah was all about power, the power of this world. Use it for yourself. Dominate. 
And don't trust the power of God that leads you into some strange places like a desert. All of this, the story that we hear of Jesus fasting and being tested in the desert, led eventually in the story of Christianity to the desert fathers upon whom I touch here. They seem very alien, people like Antony of Egypt, but they're in our DNA. And this might be a moment to focus upon what is there in our DNA. The desert fathers saw the human heart as a kind of a desert. So there was a a, a great metaphoric convergence between the desert that they inhabited and and the heart that they brought into the desert. And, And the whole point of their journey into this place of deep ambiguity was to turn the desert to a garden or to allow the power of the risen Christ to do that, to turn the human heart into a garden, not a desert. And therefore the desert itself was transfigured and became a kind of new paradise. So the whole core of the spirituality of the Desert Fathers and ours perhaps through this time of Lent is the return to paradise because that's what Easter's about, going home to paradise, which is our true home. For the Desert Fathers, it was a strange journey home, the path of ascesis, fasting, in a way that seems very strange to us but also the way of prayer, which is fundamentally a listening to God out there in the desert, the voice of a thin silence, the place where there are many voices, some seductive but nonetheless destructive. So to take the path of a ceases and a prayer that is listening, fasting and listening, in order to become the new human being, in that sense to become Jesus Christ risen from the dead. For us then, in this time of Lent, we recognise that the desert is everywhere, and I do mean everywhere, it's in our heart, like the Desert Fathers. But we have to make our way through the desert in such a way that the desert, whatever it is, wherever it is, becomes a garden. We are dealing then with one of the great archetypes of the scripture in this first Sunday of Lent. The desert is everywhere. You and I are the desert. We sense it in this shrunken world of COVID-19, do we not? It's a kind of desert. We sense it too in this kind of liminal time when the old world has gone and the new has not yet been born. So I guess the question that I leave you with on this first Sunday is, Where for you now is the desert? And do you really believe that by fasting and listening to the voice of God, following therefore not only the desert fathers who are in our DNA, but following the Lord Jesus, do you believe that that desert, whatever it is, can become a garden, can be the place we return to the paradise which is our true home?